Today, I'm joined by Larissa Pham to talk about her debut collection of essays, Pop Song. Larissa Pham is an artist and writer in Brooklyn. She studied painting and art history at Yale University and has written essays and criticism for the Paris Review Daily, The Nation, Art in America, and the Poetry Foundation. She was an inaugural Yi Dai Up Fellowship recipient from the Jack Jones Literary Arts Retreat and has published a novella, Fantasian, in 2016. You might also recognize her name as a contributor for Kink, a short story collection published earlier this year. Pop Song is a book about distances near and far. The miles we travel to get away from ourselves or those who hurt us and the impossible gaps that can exist between two people sharing a bed. Plumbing the well of culture for clues and patterns about love and loss from Agnes Martin's abstract paintings to James Terrell's transcendent light works and Anne Carson's Eros the Bittersweet to Frank Ocean's Blonde. Fam writes of her youthful attempts to find meaning in travel, sex, drugs and art before sensing that she might need to turn her gaze upon herself. Larissa, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi. I always get so like flustered when I hear someone read my bio. (laughs) Oh, I mean, it's really great. It's a good, and uh, like I had it with another author too that I spoke to. We actually had to slim it down a little bit. So congratulations <laughs> to you. Well, thank you. I, I really think um, like when you've really made it is, um, I think Rem Koolhaas had a show at the Guggenheim earlier this year and his bio was just Rem Koolhaas is like a, a designer. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay, that's the goal that we're trying to get to. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I mean, we're just gonna jump right into it. And uh, I'm gonna set off this whole interview by asking, um, can you just talk to me a little bit about what intimacy means to you? Uh, What about intimacy is debilitating? What parts are freeing? And if there is a middle ground between the debilitating and the freeing, what would that be? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm actually a little bit stumped by it because the question I'm used to being asked is like, well, why is your work so intimate? Um, Mm -hmm. Which is like kind of a different thing entirely. But I think intimacy is interesting because it's kind of a matter of surfaces um, Mm -hmm. to me. Like things can feel intimate that maybe like you don't have a closeness with this person, but you're standing outside the bar together and you're smoking a cigarette and you're sharing your life story. And you're like, wow, I have this moment of like extreme closeness with a stranger that can feel intimate, but you don't actually know that person. Um, And that's what I find interesting about it is that like, it seems to be this thing that lives in this space of not knowing or not needing to know. Um, which can be freeing in a sense. I think it can also be debilitating when, um, how do I phrase this? Like a a kind of like perceived intimacy is revealed to not, to be a not knowledge where maybe one party felt that knowledge or, um, you know, one person felt like an emotional closeness that wasn't present for the other person. I think that can be um, quite terrifying. And debilitating. Yeah, yeah. And would there be a middle ground between between those two facets of intimacy? I think maybe that like 
if we're thinking about like an interaction between two people, like I think the the best middle ground is something where both people or like both parties or more than one party. Um, Cause I don't think intimacy is necessarily like something that happens between two people um, would be like your, like this understanding of like everyone's coming to this moment in the right way. Um, and that to me feels like the best possible like place to arrive at a place of closeness. I don't know if this makes sense. <laughs> I think it makes sense. I think it's a really great way of answering the question too. Um, I mean, because just, you know, that's, I really wanted to set it up like that because the whole book really does give off this mood of just kind of, <laughs> kind of lying in bed with you wrapped in loose blankets and oh. dim lighting while you, Larissa, you know, whisper some incredibly intelligent, personal little ruminations in my ear. Oh my um, goodness. So I really wanted to kind of, start off with that because I think the intimate and the intimacy kind of values of this book are really, really a strong, strong part of it as Mm. a reader. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's tied very much to like something that I strive for in my writing, which is to tell the truth. Um, Mm -hmm. Like to be as honest as I can with something that I've experienced or something that I've seen and to present it in the most real way so that say there's a reader who doesn't have anything in common with me, doesn't know me, um, can read it and be like, oh, you know, this feels real to me. Um, Even if it's like completely like not related to anything that they've experienced. Like if I can put it down in a way where someone can pick it up and, and feel it for its truth, then I feel like I've, I've achieved something. I think that has a lot to do with kind of vulnerability also, right? Yeah. Making yourself vulnerable. And we're going to get into that later yeah. as well. <laughs> the essay body of work stands out for me so much in pop song. Uh, I think it stands out because it's the first time in the book that the reader is really able to start building um, a, a very intimate idea of who you are. And I'm thinking specifically of the passage, every time I have a nosebleed, I absolutely must take a photograph, which is so telling and so funny and so intimate in its own right. Um, but, so then you go on to discuss Tumblr and Tumblr's sharing culture and interpreting, reblogging and applying block quotes to your own lived experience. You also write this particular essay, I admit this is how I've always treated theory, panning for the parts that feel true to life, looking less to challenge my perspective than to find new ways of articulating it. You write this in the context of young Larissa collecting these snippets of critical feminist theory via Tumblr, but it's clearly more than just that. Um, I tend to love asking authors to give me their mission statement for whatever book we're discussing. But for you, I want to ask, does creating the text or the body of work, if you will, uh, function the same way interacting with theory does for you? And in that, I mean, are you less challenging your own perspectives by writing and instead finding new ways to articulate it? Yeah. Oh, these questions are so good. Um, you're really making my brain work today. Uh, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny because I do feel that way about theory, but at the same time, I would be lying if I didn't say that theory radically changed my life. Mm -hmm. Um, like, you know, you read someone and your brain just gets stuck on it. Like when I read Lacan a couple years ago during my first go round of grad school, which I dropped out of, um, 
it became the base for Fantasia and like this idea of identity formation and that being a visual process and, um, you know, like the idea of being seen. So, and like I've read communication, like quite a bit of communication theory that um, has absolutely changed the way I think about things. Um, but at, at the same way, there is this like, you're always looking for the truth. You're always like trying to read something that will resonate with the world that you experience for me at least. Um, but I think in terms of like writing a text and I like, I like referring to this as a text because like, Mm-hmm. it will have some kind of longevity and like it will probably inevitably like get broken up into little quotes that get reblogged and like this already happens with <laughs> work I'm like familiar with it um, <laughs> like the paragraph posted on Instagram with like the manicured nails next to it yeah. I know it's gonna happen um and and that's one thing but as a text I think I mean I've gone into so many essays before where I thought I was writing about one thing and then I did research or I started looking at something longer and I was like, actually, that's not what I, that's not what I want to say at all. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think the book was actually a lot of, a lot of that was, I, I really thought I knew what I was going to say about everything. Um, I sold it on a proposal, um, which meant that I had a couple of sample chapters um, and an outline, but it didn't like the text was not realized when I got the book deal. Um, so in the act of writing it, like I really challenged a lot of things that I thought I knew about myself and about, you know, love, <laughs> things like that. Did you find, did you find you were challenging your own perspectives in the end when you, when you did kind of get through it? Yeah. I mean, maybe perspective is not the right word because I think I did mm-hmm. write it all from one place psychologically. Um mm-hmm. If anything, the perspective that was taxed was writing it during the pandemic. Um, but I think I was fundamentally the same person mentally, like in terms of like my moral compass and my attitude, mm-hmm. right, going into writing the book um, and coming out of it. Like, I don't think it transformed me in that way, but I do think that my relationship to a lot of the things in the text, like my experiences and the artist's and about like that changed um Mm -hmm. like when I started writing the chapter about Louise Bourgeois like I did not think that (laughs) I would be that it would go in the direction that it did like I really did not I had no idea (laughs) and okay so just kind of jumping back onto Tumblr for a second because I really I I I love that and I think it's such a kind of unifying experience for Mm -hmm. for people in our generation and we really are in this moment where kind of our generation keeps realizing that we all have lived very, very similar lives online, just in the sense of our young teen selves sharing and a lot of oversharing and now kind of being able to look back on that and on the relationships that we built with other people in this medium. Uh, So again, you write about Tumblr and body of work specifically. uh, I'm thinking of the line. I thought myself a poet then. So I put my poems there. I drew. So I put my drawings next to my poems and there I started to keep a diary to date. Still my life's most consistent project. What would become a five-year chronicle of my days? Uh, can you expand a little bit on what was so appealing about this medium for you and what the positive and negatives were of that looking back on it now? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to find a platform that was the same as like 2012 Tumblr. 
we're all chasing the Tumblr dragon. Like, we really are. I mean, you know, there's this whole, like, hullabaloo around Substack right now, um, mm. which is just, like, the opposite of the kind of writing experience that that writing on Tumblr was. Like, I don't know, when I was blogging back in the day, like, I was diarying. Like, it was a diary. I was, like, just confessing into this <laughs> little white box and, like, um, making my little blogs and you know, the readership that I got from that felt very genuine. Um, there was no financial motive whatsoever. And there was this feeling that among everyone that I was reading and everyone who was reading me is that we were just like in community together and we were mm-hmm. learning about things at the same time. And everyone was just so honest about like what was going on in our lives. Like we weren't branding. Um, Mm -hmm. I would say maybe we had personas. I think like when you write about your life, you are creating a persona because you're choosing some words and not others, some actions, some memories and not others. Like, I don't think that's a bad thing, but I don't think anyone was like really cultivating a brand, um, (laughs) until, you know, maybe we realized that's what we were doing. Um, (laughs) and then thus opened another era. Um, but yeah, I mean what was so special about that time was just like feeling a real sense of trust with, Mm. with the readership Um, Mm. and feeling really held by that. And a lot of my readers now are people that um, read me on Tumblr and like, I'm, I still read a lot of people who I also met there. Um, And like, it it was very foundational. Um, But I do think in terms of cons, like, you know, in every, in any social media platform, there's like room for like a parasocial kind of dynamic. And I think because when I was on Tumblr, I had like a slight kind of like notoriety as like, you know, like kind of messy and like fun and like very like, um, but very emotional and very vulnerable. Like it, it really did open the door for like, um, some like, a lot of over-identification with, with me um, and like, you know, like anonymous, like weird, weirdness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, the sense that like people were maybe making an image of me in their heads that wasn't concurrent with my own image of me. But then at the same time, I was also scrawling this other image that was like separate from the lived me, mm-hmm. um, which I still find myself like navigating now. I think it's like pretty common for anyone who learns about themselves. Well, that's what I was going to say too, is yeah. like, does, does young Tumblr Larissa still bleed into adult Larissa? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I feel like it shows. <laughs> I need to find your Tumblr. I think oh no, no one's allowed. <laughs> I'm so curious. Actually, I, I did revisit it because I, I archived it. Um, mm-hmm. But I was revisiting it uh, while I was writing body of work just to like see what I was up to. I don't know. Writing body of work was like a very traumatic experience for me. Um, but I was re- rereading some of the passages and, and there's a real freshness um, mm-hmm. and rawness to the prose that I don't think I've reached since and I think it's just because like I simply would not allow myself to write in that manner now um when it really is a lot to do with kind of the trust that we did put into our 
fellow Tumblr users and those oh, kind of sure. communities that we were cultivating, which I think is so funny because, you know, I don't know about your family, but you know, we were all of that age where it was like, don't talk to strangers on the internet. Mm-hmm. Don't talk to like people that you don't know. And in the end, you know, I can count on a couple hands, like friends that I still stay in touch with that live just all around the world. Yeah. Through Tumblr, through MySpace, whatever it was. Right. Totally. Yeah. And I got into Tumblr because of MySpace. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, yeah, some, this musician that I had ended up talking to, um, probably someone I had no business talking to who had no business talking <laughs> to me <laughs> was like, oh, you should start posting here. You seem cool. And I was like, all right. But yeah, my, my, my family had no idea that I had cultivated this whole like online <laughs> world um, where I was, you know, I had a whole a life online. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a presence. And so how much do you think that this early but extremely consistent online presence fed into your views on intimacy today? Uh, Because I think obviously you have a lot to say about intimacy, either of its value or its lack thereof and ultimate risks that it carries. But yeah, how, how would you say that your, like I said, that online presence fed into that mentality today and your views on intimacy rather? Hmm. I mean, when I look at my younger self, I just want to tell her to be careful, mm-hmm. but it's funny. I think I know what you're asking, but for some reason I can't answer the question like in a straightforward <laughs> way. Um, like you can take of, a roundabout trip. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, you know, let's, let's take the scenic route here. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, I think that thinking about like intimacy and vulnerability, like those are two things that I have always done despite it not being good for me. Um, Mm. Like being on Tumblr was not really great for a lot of relationships that I was in. Um, Like my high school boyfriend hated when I wrote about him. Um, Mm. And like people sort of formed their ideas of who I was not really without knowing me, um, which is also kind of, dangerous um and I think that there is such a risk to like that kind of intimate disclosure um but I haven't been able to stop doing it like it's been (laughs) (laughs) it's been like almost 10 years since I started blogging I, I I like officially left Tumblr like quit Tumblring in like 2014 maybe 2015 um around the time I graduated and like it's like it's like I continue to like show my soul despite knowing like (laughs) that it's you know it's it's such a risky thing to do like I have learned nothing (laughs) in a way (laughs) I I, I was gonna say like you kind of do get that from from reading the book as well is you can't help it you can't help but be kind of vulnerable and to put yourself out there even though you do desperately kind of want to keep all of us at arm's length right Mm, yeah like it's my hope that maybe the book is a little wiser about it um and I think like I liked writing about my time on Tumblr because I, I I could give it like a bit more analysis especially like thinking about pain and writing about pain um and the way that those narratives of pain really like shaped my early 20s um like I I don't have that relationship to pain anymore but I did and it was Mm -hmm. important to me that I did so yeah it's like 
how do I show someone everything, but also keep myself safe? I don't know. <laughs> the I urge think that's to tell every question. Yeah. The urge to tell everything like, um, always wins for some reason. Uh, in the essay Crush, you talk about Yayo Kasuma's installation art and her series of paintings, Infinity Nets. The art critic Akira Tadehata asks her in an interview, is your work a kind of therapy? And Kasuma responds, it's a self-therapy. She goes on to explain that her obsessions and visual hallucinations are tied to her art and that she faces them head on in order to offer some therapeutic relief for herself. You write, I'm interested in the terror she gestures at, the terror inherent even in the beauty of her pieces. So I would go on to call Pop Song a beautiful piece. Mm -hmm. And I do imagine Mm -hmm. you have a very different lived experience than Kusama. Uh, But through that quote, in what ways would you be gesturing at terror in your essays? Is inherent terror as much as a part of this collection as the beauty and intimacy is? That's a great question. Um, Really such good questions. I I really am like just pondering everything. Um, It's always also so nice to just be read so like carefully. So thank you for that. Um, Thank you. Yeah, let's see. Something that I really admire about Kusama is like her visions are not like, like they're not positive. (laughs) Like the valence is not Mm -hmm. like amazing. And she sees these like dots, she sees these hallucinations and then she makes art from them and she, and it's very transformative. But you have the sense that like, it is like kind of an obliterating experience. Um, But it's also turned into something like really, really beautiful. And like at times, like even like weirdly, bizarrely like pop art joyful, Um, Mm -hmm. which has always been something that I've like kind of found interesting and like maybe even like difficult about her is like, the really poppy reception of her work when it, it clearly comes from like such a like challenging space. Um, but you asked about like the terror inherent in, in the work. Is that kind of like the. Yeah. Well, because the, the quote that I was talking about that you write about Kusama mm-hmm. is you're interested in the terror that she's gesturing at the terror that's okay. inherent, even in the beauty of her pieces. So kind of looking through that quote, mm-hmm. in, in what ways are you gesturing at terror in yeah. your essays, if at all? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if terror is maybe the right word, but I think that the essays are absolutely like aligned with and limbed by trauma by like experiences and events and like when I when I started writing this book I really thought it was going to be like a happy um like light-hearted catalog of like relationships and like mm-hmm. what are the things that make relationships um and then I realized that like <laughs> when you talk about like the moments of closeness, like the moments of beauty connecting to another person or connecting to a piece of art, like that is always arising through like the memories of other times and like past events. And some of those are like not positive. Um, And so there's like a shadow shape, I think to the text. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe that's the way in which like, Like, I think I could have written a book that was, like, all about, like, the beautiful moments, like, a book that was just entirely, like, crush, um, which is, like, a very, like, 
I think like very optimistic essay. Um, Mm -hmm. But a book like that couldn't include body of work and like body of work is like, I think is necessary to understand like, like the eye of the, of the collection. Like if you Mm -hmm. don't read body of work, you don't understand haunted. um, And you don't understand like the second half of the text really. So yeah, I don't know if that um, completely answers the question. It answers the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, and I think that's that's very true about the whole thing. And it's kind of like you said about body of work as well. You you couldn't have that essay omitted from this book and still retain, I think, that vulnerable image of yourself, of Larissa the person. Um, And I think that's so important to kind of the vein of the whole of the whole book, right? It is the you. You are talking about yourself and your own experience right Mm -hmm. so and I think that is inherently terrifying a lot of the time yeah I mean maybe just like the the terror of being known like what does that mean it's like you know like uh the rewards of being loved the terror of being known but it's so true like you you cannot Mm -hmm. have the rewards of being loved without being known because to be loved is it's to be known otherwise I don't know what's going on but um it's kind of like that when we were talking about intimacy in the beginning of of this talk, like you can have a close moment, but without the knowledge of the person or the knowledge of yourself, like, is it just a moment? Uh, In the essay camera roll notes on longing, you talk about exactly that uh, longing too much. You write. That's how I feel so often rendered agog by intense emotion. When I feel joyous or content or loved, it's as though I'll never feel so held again by the world. And right away, like the clap of thunder after a lightning strike, I feel the fear of losing it all. First of all, I find this extremely relatable on a deeply personal level. (laughs) Um, But you do go on to say that photography is an important tool for you to quote, make these overfull moments stay. So the question here I want to ask is, how does intimacy change depending on the medium? Uh, If we're talking about painting, photography, and writing, does one medium allow intimacy to be translated more or better than the others? Yeah. Um, hmm. That line owes so much to Sarah Manguso, who I think I quote around there from ongoingness. Um, but I, I love the way she writes about memory and she has like a completely different take to me, which is like, she doesn't use photography because she started taking pictures and they started ruining her memory. Um, mm. Whereas like my memory is already like pretty holy. Um, I, I attribute it to the depression that uh, kicked in when I was around 21. Um, so I take, I take pictures to remember things. Um, mm-hmm. cause if I can see a picture, then like everything else will follow. Um, yeah, I think, I think when we think about intimacy and mediums, like, I wonder if like talking about a medium is really talking about like, well, what best preserves the moment right like what best mm-hmm. preserves like the memory of that of that close moment because well I think that you can feel very close to someone through looking at like a text or through um looking at a photograph or seeing what's captured in a photograph 
but those things are kind of like containers for the real thing, right? Like you laying in bed with someone talking, that will always just be the memory of that thing. And when you write about it later, you could write about it in a really beautiful way that makes the reader feel as though they're also laying in bed with you talking. But like that moment will always still be like the one that is in your head that you maybe share with that other person. So in a way, like, it's almost like the the medium like speaks to like, it's like the artist will dictate it, I guess. Like I I use photography in that chapter to talk about Mm -hmm. like that instinct to preserve because I think photography is so close to it. Like it's so close to capturing something that we think it's real. Um, And I think Susan Sontag has written about this pretty extensively, but like that's the trick of photography is that like you think it's real. Um, So it becomes like, well, if I can just get this photo of this moment where I'm like laying in bed with someone and like, I don't, I don't really know them that well, but I want to remember it as though we knew each other really well. So I'm going to sneak this photo of them in bed and I'll look at it later, like four months from now when we've broken up and I'll be like, that was such a beautiful relationship. Um, Like how much of that is like memory and how much of that is the medium, I guess. I'm I'm going a little off topic. but I think I do think that like writing about intimacy is like I feel like I can only maybe like best describe it like from the perspective of the writer writing mm-hmm. about the loved one. So I don't really know what it's like um, to be written about. Um, all I know is like what it's like to write and what what it feels like to set that down and and to hope that I've like captured something properly. So if you had a preferred medium to convey intimacy in the best possible way, would it be writing? Oh, I don't know. I think writing is what I've chosen, but I think maybe camera roll proves to me that like maybe it is Mm -hmm. photography feels like the most everyday accessible way because everyone has a camera Mm -hmm. um and everyone can see an image so I don't know but I mean that 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 is challenging because I I do think that like despite all our attempts to capture like what it means to be close to someone like it's still gonna always live in our heads first um and the great struggle is taking anything out of your head and sharing it with someone else And I really love that you keep, and I don't know why I didn't really think it was going to happen in this interview, but you do keep kind of relating intimacy back to memory Mm -hmm. and how those things are so kind of deeply intertwined. Um, Do you want to just expand a little bit more on that? Sure. Um, I have had like a really longstanding obsession with like (laughs) the impossibility of like human communication, like pure human communication (laughs) like everything that is happening between you and me right now like this is all a proxy like I don't know what you're thinking I will never know um I feel like I'm understanding you and and sort of we're sharing a vibe and I like I feel known by that um but ultimately like I'm alone and you're alone and we're gonna die alone um I'm very interested in that and I think related to that is this idea that like memory is a condition that we create for ourselves, not in that like we control our memories, but that like the events of our lives are our memories that exist mm-hmm. in our heads. 
And so the moment, like any moment is so slim, like any moment is so like, it's just the present. It's so short. It's already over. Um, Well, it lasts forever is your memory of it, your recollection of it. And that's Mm -hmm. like, there's power in that because you can choose to remember something some way. And if you're a writer or if you're a photographer or any kind of like person who makes something, you can choose to express that in a way that like presents like your narrative of what that thing was. That That's power. Um, especially if you're someone from like a community that doesn't really have a lot of like narrative power or narrative voice. Um, so I think like, it, it like any any sort of event can be treated this way but I think intimacy because it is so personal and malleable feels like very very tied to like this thing of like existing in the memory mm-hmm. and I think about like relationships I've had where I didn't have a lot of pictures and I really only had like my memories and like some text message transcripts mm-hmm. and like I held on to those um but what like became my memory of the relationship was like, or like what became the relationship after it had passed was my, my memory of it. Um, that was all I had. Yeah. I'm also reading, I'm reading this work of um, like, it's not autofiction. It's just like a, it's a memoir, but it reads kind of like autofiction because she writes about herself in the third person, but it's um, a girl's story by Annie Arnaud. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, um, it's incredible, <laughs> but she mm-hmm. talks a lot about memory in it. So, um, and there's like, she's like working through it. She's like writing from like 2014 about something that happened in 1958. Yeah. What makes you want to write about art? Is it a desire to give more permanence to something? Does that come from its own kind of sense of longing? Um, I'm just curious. I, I really, I find the practice of art writing so daunting. Mm. Um, and, I, and I think you do it so successfully, especially in pop song. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to listen to your thoughts a little bit on, on why you want to write about art. And, and I, I mean, I hope you like writing about art <laughs> and, and what you do like about that practice. Yeah. Pop song is an interesting project because it's like, you're picking it up for like a juicy memoir. Like I force you to sit through like these paragraphs and paragraphs of like biography. And then if you're picking it up for like art writing, like I force you to sit through like these paragraphs and paragraphs of me complaining about having sex with someone in college. Um, So, um, you know, shout out to anyone who states for that journey. But I, I, I love writing about art and I think it's like, well, it's kind of like, you know, you want to pay respect to the people who came before you. Um, and I think for me, at least, like there's this desire to write about things that have moved me. Mm. And that means like events in my life, but also that that means like encounters with art. Um, and I also like on a more like maybe formal technical level, like, I always loved reading books that would introduce me to things. Um, mm-hmm. I grew up in Portland. I didn't have like a particularly like sheltered childhood, but I also didn't know like a lot about the world or like a lot about like mm-hmm. what was out there. Um, and it was through reading that like I learned about like all these possible worlds. And 
reading texts, like especially in college and after college that just pointed me down like all these roads of like bibliography and like artists to look up. Like I loved that. That was so important to me. Um, and I, I wanted to write a text that would share the things that I care about um, with readers. I think a lot about like the reader that I'm like writing for. And I think like, mm-hmm. I'm not thinking that like it has to be anyone specific, but I, I do think a lot about like who I was at 17 um, yeah. and what I would have needed. And um, I always wanted like a more specific like Asian, even Southeast Asian perspective on the things that I was consuming. Um, Mm -hmm. Because so much of, so much of my understanding of the world came from like a largely white perspective. So I think pop song like wanted, I wanted it to be like kind of a corrective. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, I also just want about to write about art in a way that like makes people want to look at it. Like I want to write about like Agnes Smart in a way where like someone who maybe is daunted by abstract painting or like, you know, doesn't really get the appeal of looking at like a nearly blank canvas. Like if they can read that essay and they like maybe get a little bit more enjoyment out of an Agnes Martin painting or another like Abex painter, like um, the next time they're in a museum, like then I've, then I've makes me happy. Like I want people to feel like, like they can appreciate art, <laughs> which is like a very like, maybe like baseline desire. But I think you were really successful in that too, because even what you're saying is, was definitely my experience as a reader was like, you know, going through the parts where it was like, okay, I'm not familiar with the particular artist that Larissa is talking about right now, but you read two paragraphs and then I'm on Google and I'm just like, oh, you know, can't see any of this in person right now, but thank <laughs> God there are these like HD Google images of all of these, yeah. <laughs> all of these beautiful paintings. But so yeah. I think you are extremely successful in translating that. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Um, and yeah, I mean, I really love every artist that I wrote about in the book. So it's my hope that, you know, someone will go down the rabbit hole and, you know, there are a lot of really good archives online too. I use the MoMA archive yeah. a lot actually mm-hmm. when I was writing this. So another thing that I would ask here and that, I mean, I found some online answers to obviously, um, but I would love to hear your answer. And this is purely just to indulge me as a, as an interviewer and as a bookseller, not, not an art writer, um, <laughs> but is there a difference between art writing and art critique? Because I would argue that pop songs reflections on art act exactly as that reflections. But I think critique is indelibly tied to art writing. So can you just talk about those two? Is there a difference? Are they just literally the same thing? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think it honestly depends on like the outlet that it is published Mm. in. Um, I don't really consider myself an art critic. Um, Mm. Because I feel like that, I mean, kind of boils down to like, see this show or don't see this show, <laughs> which feels, I mean, you know, ask me in conversation and I'll, I'll give my recommendation. But I also think like, I do consider myself a critic. Like I write a lot of book criticism, um, which I consider criticism. Um, for some reason, I am 
unless I am writing a piece of arts criticism, like for the nation or something that's like classified as such, um, I wouldn't call pop song arts criticism. Um, but I do think like the function is pretty similar. It's like, I think the best reviews and the best pieces of art writing share in that they're trying to help explicate something in the work for a reader in order to make it a more illuminating process when the reader engages with the work or mm -hmm. makes the reader feel as though they can understand the work without being able to see it. Um, like there was this really great review of, um, I'm going to mispronounce this, but I think it's Cerise Wynne Evans, um, the light artist that I write about. Um, I read this really great review of his show in The Guardian, and it was not a show that I had seen, but I had seen work very similar to it. And that review informed some of what I was writing um, because it was just like another perspective. It was like just more information. Um, and I think, that, yeah, the best, the best pieces of arts writing do that. But I mean, there's also like a school of arts criticism that's like, you know, deals more with like markets and um, mm -hmm. like galleries and like the politics of that. And like, I'm really not well versed in that at all. Like, I don't really know anything about the art world and I don't care to. Um, <laughs> but I think like, I'm always grateful to a text that helps me better understand any kind of creative creative product I hate saying product creative work there we go so you couldn't write a memoir and essays subtitled adventures in art and intimacy without peeling back some protective layers that you might have built up for yourself um and like i've said the writing throughout this book obviously feels incredibly intimate literally like i am kind of cuddled up to you and you're just telling me the story of what brought you here yeah um, but were you surprised at how much information you've been willing to give up to the reader or was the intention to always be, and sorry for the pun, but an open book? <laughs> that was, <laughs> that was great. Um, <laughs> uh, part of the reason why I wanted to write a full length text that would be printed on paper and not excerpted online in any great capacity. It was because I wanted to have the trust that um, a reader generally <laughs> enters into when they read a printed book. Like, um, mm. like another way of saying that is that like I wanted to go sicko mode and I knew if I went sicko <laughs> mode online, that would be bad for me. It would be bad for my health. <laughs> um, but if I do it in a book that's printed, it's safer because if someone picks it up and buys it and reads it, they've already made, like they've already entered into a contract with me that feels a little different than like reading a piece of clickbait online. Mm -hmm. um, like I have very mixed feelings about writing online. I obviously do it, um, but I, I don't always appreciate the way that writing online is treated by readers. Um, so I think it was important to me that I have a book. Like I needed the space. I needed to build trust with the reader. I wanted to feel like there was kind of an understanding between myself and the reader. And I was, I mean, I was also really inspired by like the memoirs who have come before me. I mean, like Leslie Jameson's like the empathy exams is like all over this text, like Maggie Nelson, all over this text. Um, 
like I really admire like Melissa Fibos and like mm-hmm. who else am I thinking like I even read like I read a lot of memoirs before and while I was writing this one because I needed to give myself that kind of permission um mm-hmm. but I mean I do feel like a little like nervous like on the eve of publication like I don't know like someone might get really mad at me um and I just have to reap what I sow um but at the same time like everything in it was like something that I wanted to tell in the form Mm -hmm. that I wanted to tell it in I don't think I could have told it any other way and I'm not unhappy for telling it um when I was drafting I actually had um two notes on my monitor um so they were like they were like little round panda sticky notes like had ears and like a little face so it looks like the panda was speaking and one of them said um don't be afraid to be vulnerable and then the other one which I added maybe a day or two after the first one which was um the second one said it's also already too late so you might as well give it your all which was just like (laughs) I already, like, it was too late for me. Like, I, I signed up to write this and, like, um, can't back out. So I might as well just, like, do my best and, like, really make it the book that I wanted it to be. Yeah. And I think it is. I mean, sometimes I, I have fears of being misread, but who doesn't, you know? I think you've set it up in a way that makes it clear how you want to present it, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. I think it definitely comes across as a very honest piece. You're not afraid to shy away from the vulnerability of it all. Like the panda post-it <laughs> did its job in the end. <clears throat> and I really think it's going to resonate with people. And I really think it'll, and I hope it will resonate, like you said, kind of with young authors from similar backgrounds as you who, or young readers rather, from mm. similar backgrounds who, who would have wanted a different perspective than the one mm. that they've been fed. Thank you. That means a lot. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's my only wish is like, I just hope Mm. that, you know, I could have really used like a a book like this when I was younger, didn't really have that. Mm. Um, So if I can provide, provide this for some people, then I'll be happy. Awesome. Okay. Well, amazing. That's, that's all of our questions. Thank Um, you. Larissa, thank you so, so much for coming on the Weird Era podcast today. I really enjoyed talking to you and I really loved reading this book and I can't wait to sell tons of copies at the bookstore. Thank you. How, how is the bookstore? Are you in like open in person? Like, is it? Yeah, we have it. I mean, at at the time of recording this interview, uh, (laughs) the bookstore is open to limited amount of uh, Mm. of customers. But yeah, we're we're back to in store browsing for the time being, and uh, we still offer curbside pickup and delivery every Fridays. (laughs) Amazing! I I (sighs) miss bookstores so much like this past year, so I'm really happy to hear that. Back. I do hear often uh, people come in and they say, this is the first store I physically walked in in over a year and I'm very yeah. happy that it's a bookstore. So I love that narrative. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. That's amazing. Literacy for but, everyone. 
Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so everyone, you can come and pick up Pop Song by Larissa Pham at uh, St. Henry Books now. And that's it. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>